What's up? Welcome to the Confluence VC podcast. This podcast is meant to give you a personal glimpse into the next era of investors and operators. This week we had on Jake and Kai from Pallet. Pallet's building hiring infrastructure for communities and creators. We use it for our own job board. We love the product. Wanted to bring those guys on just to show them some love for helping us add some value to this community. In this talk, we cover the past, current, and future state of business recruiting, community-based marketing, and creating value through aggregation. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yo, everybody, welcome to the Confluence VC podcast. Today, we're kicking off a very, very special episode because it is our inaugural startup focused podcast. And it happens to be with a incredible company that has not only helped out our community, but has also made us some money. And we also want to put a ton of money into, you know, Palette. Y'all didn't see it in our newsletters. How about uh, I let our friends say what's up? Jake, Kai, what up? How's it going? Um, super excited to be on. Obviously, we've been pretty close with Confluence for a while now. So, um, you know, happy to be talking with you guys face-to-face and to the community. Yeah, excited to be here. We were talking about how funny it is that we've been working together for like five, six months now at this point. Uh, this is the first time I'm seeing everybody face-to-face. So exciting day for us here as well and, and pumped to get into it. For sure. How about uh, y'all give us a little bit of background on yourselves and then we can dive a little bit more into the company and, and how you all make an impact on the space. Yeah, so my name is Kai, one of the co-founders here on the CEO. Grew up in New York City with Jake, so we've met since uh, high school and... Yeah, I mean, like on my free time, I like to watch sports, I like to play games, and I like to watch anime, but I don't really have too much free time these days, unfortunately. So that's me. Top three anime. <laughs> Top three anime. Uh, I got to go Full Metal Alchemist, number one. I have a Full Metal Alchemist tattoo on my back. So it <laughs> basically has to be number one for me. Okay, we, um, we actually have to, we have to get a picture of your back and then put that so, as the, uh, the, the face card. <laughs> I'll send something over. I'll send something over in the Slack. I'd say number two is uh, Gurren Logan. Big fan of that one. Um, and then number three is just got to be One Piece. Thanks. Awesome. So I'm Jake. Like Kai said, also from New York. We went to high school together. I ended up going out west to Stanford for college, where I wrestled on the team over there. Also interested in sports. Not quite as interested in anime, though Kai has been working for upwards of eight years to try to get me involved. Um, and I've kind of been refusing since, but who knows? Yeah, so that's basically it. Yeah, and I can talk a little bit about, you know, how we got to Palette from high school friends to starting up Palette, which uh, a pretty interesting story. I have this interesting thing where, you know, outside of our, our regular friendship, we'd been talking since we were kind of sophomores in, in high school about starting a company together. This palette is actually our second go around at it. Our first one was called Mint, I believe. And that was like freshman year of college when we tried to make it like a loan app for younger kind of people. .com, everybody. Yeah, right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Robin Hood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we were this close to being Robin Hood, but we were a little bit young and naive and kind of lost steam as we went on our, our college ways. But We'd always do stuff kind of thinking about it, thinking about what we could start up, you know, and our first kind of introduction to the job space, every winter we'd actually share like what internships we're applying to. You know, he was out in London, I was in San Francisco, but we both wanted to kind of reunite New York and see if we could find an internship together. But ultimately, while over at Oxford, Kai had this idea, right? Like, why aren't there like curated playlists of jobs, right? He was looking for VC in New York. I was looking for a mid-tier tech startup also in New York, but we found it really difficult 
to just find a, a coherent list of all of the opportunities in that space in the location we were looking for. And so that's what started the, or sparked the initial palette idea, which was at the time Cardea. I'll, I'll let Kai dive into a little bit more about what that was about and how it transitioned into what palette is now. Yeah, wait, yeah, can, we, so- can we do a quick, can you do a quick, like, what is palette? Yeah. 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 So palette is, uh, I think at, at a base level is like a infrastructure tool for communities to spin up their own recruiting work. The idea here really is around the fact that with a recent explosive growth in online communities specifically, what you end up having is a lot of these different pockets of space or like centers of gravity with anywhere from you know 500 to 50,000 professionals of some sort engaged for one reason or another, right? It could be like, they're all reading a newsletter or they're all in a Slack community, or they're all taking the same course together. And what these community builders have effectively done is 85% of the hard work of building a recruiting business, right? They have engagement from professionals across their career life cycle. And, and that's like the hardest part about recruiting. Uh, and so what Palo does is we go and provide the infrastructure and the tooling for communities to take that attention and spin up like a recruiting layer on top of it, right? Hey, I've got a thousand people in my Slack community. Uh, they're all... You know, product managers, probably at any given moment, there's at least a good amount of people looking for a job and there's potentially even a good amount of people looking to hire. Uh, and so we provide the infrastructure that lets those connections happen, whether that's a job board, um, whether that's a talent collective, which we'll be talking about later on in the podcast. Um, you can think of us as a sort of full stack recruiting business in a box. But we didn't start that way, right? The way that we started was, as kind of Jake was saying, was like, hey, what if we built a super curated uh, platform for job searching that consumers could tap into, right? Hey, I want to look for a job. I could go on Cardea, was the name at the time, and I could see like all the jobs that are, you know, product management jobs at top tier venture-backed startups. Idea here was we'd sort of modularize all of these different playlists and eventually let people build playlists on top of us, right? So kind of like hey, cool, we got a million users that are all looking at these different curated playlists of jobs. You have access to good job flow slash can make connections. You can launch a playlist on Cardea. But what we ended up finding was that it's very hard to scale a consumer job platform. It's very hard to scale a, like an aggregation kind of like, hey, here's all the jobs. And so we said, the goal of this thing at the end of the day is to build this infrastructure ecosystem. Let's just put the horse in front of the cart and go right after the people that could potentially build these recruiting products and build these recruiting orgs instead. So that's how Cardea turned into Pal. Love it. Tell us why the existing recruiting market or recruiting solutions don't work. Yeah. So I, I think it's interesting. I think fundamentally, when you look at recruiting and when you look at talent, it's a space that doesn't innately play well with tech, right? All of the things that make tech companies really great don't apply nearly as well in the recruiting space, right? Which is, I, I would say the most important one is like uh, positive network effects, right? Like if you're going to build a really great tech platform, an aggregation platform, you've got to have positive network effects. Uh, such that the more people that come on, or at least neutral, the more people that come on, the better it is for everyone or, or their experience isn't degraded at all. In talent and in recruiting, what you actually end up getting is uh, like negative network effects, right? So if I'm on a platform with a thousand hyper-curated developers, like I have a really high value from that. But then if they go in and add 10,000 more or 100,000 more or a million more, eventually all of that signal gets lost. And what you just end up with is <clears throat> one big database of a bunch of people. And that's that like CRM or that database is basically the best thing that tech can provide to recruiting. And LinkedIn has gone and built the best version, right? Like you're not going to go build a better database of professional profiles than LinkedIn stuff. Um, so in that sense, yeah. The reason that I would say these things start to break down is because all the signal gets lost, right? If you're going to try to build a competitive LinkedIn, you have to find a way to bake in signal. You have to find a way to bake in duration. And inherently, that's an unscalable value prop. And so that's why, kind of like the way that we see it is we're not trying to build one platform with 100 million users. We're trying to build a million smaller platforms with 100 users each, right? Where the, the exact needs of those users can be satisfied by the community, by the services that are on top of, by that curation. Got you. Can you talk a little bit about just how big the recruiting market is? Yeah, that's one thing that we found really early on is that it is a huge market. Uh, and that's evident by the fact that the margins are super high, right? And, and that's something that we talk to creators and communities about all the time when we're 
onboarding them onto the product. It's just that there's a lot of money to be made in the space because everyone is looking to hire, right? And right now, I think we all can feel it. It's a candidate's market. And so we're seeing how large the space is, but really one thing that we say internally, and and we talk about a lot actually, is that even though the space is huge and, and that it's perceived to be so big, our kind of contradictory argument is that it should be bigger. That even though recruiting is, you know, deemed to be pretty saturated right now, problems up and down the funnel, we should, we think it should be bigger. And like Kai was talking about, we're trying to build a new class of recruiters, each in their own kind of individual respective niche, not trying to build just like another one size fits all aggregated platform, but rather this distributed network and and trying to approach these communities and creators who don't see themselves as recruiting orgs, but should be, and and basically argue to them that they should, they should have a pallet and act as the recruiting org that they've, you know, done so hard or done so much work to to put themselves in a position to be. Kind of related to that. I was thinking about that. This is like going off script. It's not in the questions we sent over, but what's been the toughest part of finding some of these organizations and communities that don't live online as much as, for example, our community, like everybody's always online. The other ones that might have a very different persona. So I think it's, we actually probably deal with a tougher problem, which is like everywhere that we look, we see potential opportunities to spin up a recruiting product. And it's just a matter of being able to stay focused. And so obviously that, that, that online angle is what we really want to be focusing on just because the distribution is easiest, especially given COVID, especially given all that type of stuff, right? If you have a newsletter, we're, we're more confident right now that you could reach everyone in that newsletter than if you have a meetup group or if you have a, uh, a conference. But we've done work with hackathons, in-person events. I think college clubs are a really interesting segment. I think even company alumni clubs and like, hey, we'll grant access to everyone who leaves the company to this palette and they can find really cool opportunities afterwards speaker series events like I, I think all basically the way that we see it is if you, anywhere that there's engagement from people even if it's ephemeral can't have a recruiting work spun up around it and the results that we've had at the hackathons thus far have been really cool i think just for for us it's a matter of staying focused right if you look hard enough there's people hanging out literally everywhere right co-working spaces something like i don't know soho house all these places um but we just got to stay focused and make sure that we're building in the right direction yeah. Have you guys found, cause Jake, I remember we were going back and forth a couple months ago on all the data you're collecting and you're trying to get signal on like strength of communities. Did you have any major takeaways of like some things that communities that ranked stronger within that are layering? Obviously I was thinking having different media components where then you could use that to advertise the job board would be one of those, but was there anything else that caught y'all's eye? Yeah, that's something that we've paid a lot of attention to, right? So, to see if we could diagnose what community is going to be successful before we even, you know, invest the time in, in setting up and launching them. But the kind of short answer is that it's really difficult. And there's a lot of different data points that contribute to it. Obviously, size of community is a big one. If you have access to 50,000 people versus 500 people, you're going to have different effects and, and different levels of success prior business relationships. And we look for that, not necessarily do people already pay them for jobs, but do they have advertising sponsorships, right? Do they interview people that are in hiring positions at different organizations? We look for intangible evidence of reputation, right? Are are they someone that gets engagement on their posts or in their community are getting shouted out by engineering lead at Airbnb or something like that. And so there's a lot of different things that go into it. And I think the palette team has gotten pretty good at determining who has a pretty good shot at success. But again, it's not a science. And that's something that we communicate to our partners when we set up with them. We often get asked, can you predict exactly how much I'm going to make in my first year? And we have to say, no, we can give them a, a band based on what we've seen in the past and, and what we can see from their different data points, but it's a little bit unpredictable and that makes, you know, acquisition a little bit challenging, but also a little exciting because we're often surprised pleasantly by a community that we, we think, you know, is going to do pretty well and then ends up doing spectacularly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's probably also different for the job board, which is our first product and the talent collective, which is obviously coming up soon, I guess for some further context, right. The idea of the job board is, if I'm a business and I want to post a job to the whole community, I could do that through the job board if I'm a business, right? So that's the job board side of it. We found with the job board that generally speaking, 
text-based channels are easiest to do um, and text-based channels where you can uh, predict average level of viewership. And, and so in that sense, like a newsletter is a newsletter with 10,000 people might be stronger than a Twitter account with 50,000 people. But a Twitter account with 50,000 people might be stronger than a TikTok account with a million people. Because you have that sort of like, hey, here's a new job that's coming out that you can apply to. And the, the percentage of content published by that community relative to how many people in the community are going to see it changes depending on the channel that's around. And so mm -hmm. that's something that we found with the job board at the very least. But again, like, kind of like Jake said, hard to predict down to exact science. Yeah, I just had this idea for you guys. I was looking at this company to shoot you the URL and the link here. It's called Convert Calculator. And essentially what they do, they let you spin up like user-facing calculators where you can, you determine the inputs and then you let like website visitors just type in those inputs and then get like calculated output from it. So if you have like more data, it could even be like benchmark data for you guys. Like, oh, I have this many followers. This is what I expect conversion rate is. This is the pricing. You can plug that in and somebody that's building a trust profile. It's like, oh, this is very appealing. I could potentially spin up a job board and get like this much revenue a month. Awesome. Cool. I don't know if that's of interest, but I just came across that company as top of mind. Oh, yeah. No, definitely interesting. And that's basically what we're trying to work towards. We've, we've talked about that for a while. How cool on the landing page would it be if as you're debating whether or not you should sign up to run a pallet, you can input five different factors and, and see the output of how much you'd make based on maybe how much time you'd have to spend doing it. Well, yeah. on, the, on the flip side of that though, there's the conversion of like people actually applying and getting the job. Like, how do you all, how do you all, you kind oh, of, you want to, you want to react? Oh, <laughs> like, oh my God, that was a terrible question. Okay. So I, I was telling them before my connection is kind of crappy today, but um, effectively, so there's one side of like, how well will your community convert in regards to applying? But there's an entirely different piece, which is how well will your community convert in terms of getting the jobs, right? Because people who are posting these jobs are paying for this. And they, they need to get good candidates. So for you all in choosing the communities and understanding the value of a community, and then at the day, it's based on whether or not their community has really good candidates. Yeah. So this is interesting. I guess maybe we can maybe reorder some of the questions stuff, but, but I think this leans really perfectly into talent collectives, right? Which is our second sort of marquee product. It's what we consider to be like the bottom of the funnel of the, the palette as a whole, where you can think about the job board as being this kind of public facing resource, like I'm curating roles for my audience. And then the talent collective is basically the flip side of that, right? I'm curating members of my community and presenting them directly to hiring businesses. And so kind of like you were saying, the ultimate metric for a business's success when engaging with the community's palette is how many quality candidates or how many quality people they end up seeing. And one of the things that we started to notice was with the job board, it was very much a volume game, right? Where if you've got 150 grand, 150,000 people in your network, you could reasonably guarantee that an average job gets 10, 15, 20 applicants. If you have a community of a thousand super, super high quality people, um, a job board with 50 roles can't really support that level of volume on average. And that's why we're really, really excited about talent collectives, right? Which is the idea that, hey, we've got an a thousand person community of the 50 people are currently open to work. They're all great. And we're just going to literally take those 50 people, kind of comment about them, you know, add some context into how awesome they are and immediately showcase those people to businesses that we also approve of. And as a business with a talent collective, your first engagement on palette is seeing people that are ready to interview or at least ready to have a chat right away. And so that's why we're really excited about that because we think it really unlocks the longer tail of communities where you're looking at, hey, this is not a whales game anymore. Right. This idea that like you could be successful in the product with 500 or a thousand people in your community. And if you just place one person a month, one person from your community gets a job every month as a result of your palette and you're charging like 10% of first year salary, you're making 120 grand a year. So that's why we're really excited about that. And exactly like you said, right. The number one metric for us, more important than anything else is hires made, right? Like how do we know that we're doing a good job? People are getting jobs. And this is what in my mind. When you all talked about this feature for the first time, I was like, oh, this is how they actually beat recruiting firms. 
because that's what a recruiting firm is actually doing. They're staying on top of it. Every person who's in our community, unless they like got their job on Twitter or through like their cousin or something like that, <laughs> went through the recruiter process. And those recruiters talk to you every six months. Hey, how's everything going at your firm? Looking for new things? You want to look at this thing, that thing, the other? It's because they know you're qualified. They know that you probably are on like a one year to three year like job replacement cycle. And once you start getting these pieces that you are talking about now, you get that at the exact same scale, if not considerably greater, way lower cost for staffing. Yep. That's, that's gorgeous. It's right. It's basically making the argument that like Clay and Tyler, like you guys are recruiters effectively, even though your primary purpose is delivering content, engaging your community, you're doing the exact same thing that recruiters get paid an annual salary to do. The talent that recommend and push them out to businesses. That's effectively like our, our whole strategy in a, in a little, you know, one-liner. And it's a much better experience for you guys and for the community, right? Like you're not shilling stuff. You're engaging them with natural <laughs> content that you're doing. You're naturally building community. And as a second order effect, you now have this wonderful opportunity to connect people to life-changing jobs. One of the things that I, that I was going to say is like the greatest recruiting business ever is Harvard University. And they're not a recruiting business at all. So that's kind of how we think about the, the development of these different communities moving forward. I would say Penn State, but fair. I did not go to Penn State. I just say that because of their volume of all I'm not. But uh, I, I didn't go to Harvard. So I, I picked a neutral battleground. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny though, because when me and Clay, before we met you all, we were going to recruiting firms, figuring out ways to monetize our community. And we're like, hey, you guys should pay us to give you candidates or get you firms to work with you all. And they're like, you know, we already got that. Blah, blah, blah. And now with this new feature you all are dropping, we are them. And it's like when you try to get Facebook to do a partnership with you and then they buy you for $18 billion, you know, three years later. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, man, that's really, really dope. Clay in the questions area here, made a note that I didn't add, which is on aggregation. When I go to Palette, I can't see every job that's listed on Palette. How do you all think about a world in which you aggregate everything from users to like jobs? And then one day I can just search based on my fit and all this other stuff. Is there like a V20, 2026 or something like that? Dude, Jake <laughs> and I have been going back and forth on yeah. this for months. We, we talk so about this one a lot. Yeah, like, you, so you gotta help me find my mom a new job. She wants to. <laughs> so, so honestly, I think no. Um, I think it, at, at the very least, in the traditional sense of aggregation, where it's like, hey, any user can find any community and any job on Palette. What we really worry about there is eliminating the same signal that some of these communities have built up on their own. If it's as easy to apply to a community's jobs and join a community's Palette as just typing in VC, we don't want to necessarily like flood all these communities with, with, with sort of like artificial supply. Number one, I think it's really helpful when you can keep these things curated and tight. Uh, and number two, what that effectively does is makes us the bottleneck for the growth of the ecosystem. If, I mean, if we cannot deliver a product that reliably activates the natural community and the natural network within that community, then all of a sudden the communities that we can onboard are constrained by how many users, and how many types of users that we can get onto the big sort of pallet aggregation site. So maybe in that world, a product management community in the Czech Republic is not a good fit for our platform. So goal number one for us is to say, hey, the product is good enough such that just with your own community and your own network, you can get this thing running on a consistent flywheel and, 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 and generating consistent results. The only place that probably we will look at aggregation is likely whenever we start to cross the you know, proverbial enterprise chasm. And we're talking to an enterprise recruiting manager at Datadog who needs to have a thousand SDRs in their pipeline in Q4, right? That's their quota. They probably don't care as much about the specific community and the specific curation, the specific recommendation. And so we'd probably give those people aggregation tools by community as opposed to just bundling up you know, the candidates. What's really interesting though is I don't actually think you need to aggregate. When I hear your perspective on this, what you could do is just say, hey, Datadog, here are 50 communities with an aggregate of X amount of potential users that can work with you. And you just ask them to apply to be a partner or like to post yeah. jobs. Same with the aggregation function. If I wanted to say, my mom wants to look at these four types of jobs, you could just say here, 20 communities, you can apply to be part of any of them. And if you're, they let you in, it lets them keep that curation layer. Yep. You're, you're thinking about it exactly the way that we think about it. And a good example of like how difficult it is to 
successfully aggregate and recommend jobs is LinkedIn itself. And if you go on LinkedIn, who has all of the data in the world about you and 750 million other people, they still can't really recommend you a good job. Maybe one in five makes sense. But I go on on LinkedIn, I check out what they know about me and they think I'm a D1 basketball player, right? <laughs> uh, and, the, you know, and they're recommending me retail jobs in Trenton, New Jersey at a Verizon store because they just can't quite figure out what I'm actually looking for. And so we're never going to try to pair individual to specific job or specific role or even specific company or vice versa. We're going to try to pair if we, when we do go down this path, we'll try to pair uh, company to channel or individual to channel, like you were talking about, which is a much easier task. Not saying, hey, candidate, here's the perfect job for you, but hey, candidate, here's the perfect channel for you to go and find that job instead. We can safely assume that in this community, there's at least a few jobs that make sense for you. And, and so that's more of how we look at the problem and then that kind of question of aggregation. That's how we were thinking about it too. Like when I was shooting you, text about this the other month like we're pretty aware that like our board is catered to venture roles but then the people within our community they obviously have portfolio founders that are trying to hire for all these different roles so we wanted to create a place for them to have recommended job boards for those different functions and we just wanted to have like one or two for each role it's like all right don't need to post this on confluence's board because it's not going to necessarily solve the pain point but Callie's board, like other boards, that would be great. I should just focus my efforts there. But it sounds like you guys are thinking about it the same way. Yeah. So people can't see me because I don't think we're going to post this in this video, but I have my anger, my evil pinky to my mouth <laughs> right now because I'm thinking pyramid scheme. Can we have some <laughs> job boards, bro? I would love it to be able to host or advertise other people's job boards on my job board. Yeah. That's, that's also an interesting question. And we've obviously thought about that a little bit. I think it relates to what Kai said about what types of communities and creators we go after. We just have to stay focused at this point. We're building up the ability for companies and different entities to effectively advertise directly to communities. And we probably could build in ways for products, say, to post to your job board and, and advertise directly to your community or, or different services. And we've actually been asked a few times, but I think it's a matter of staying focused, solving one problem at a time. And right now that problem is recruiting full-time roles, part-time roles. And then as soon as we have our, our feet underneath us there, we can start to think about what other kind of you know advertisements can be posted to a single board, whether it be other pallets whether it be traditional boutique recruiters, whether it be Salesforce trying to sell their newest package to some sort of sales and BD community or pallet board. That's what I think on that matter. Yeah, I think the idea of sharing roles and potentially even sharing candidates, right? If we're looking at it purely from the job angle, where, Whoa. hey, like you guys see that someone in the Confluence community wants to move into traditional finance for whatever reason they might want to do that. You could potentially refer that person to another community on Palette and say, hey, we know that Jennifer is really great. She was in BC for a little bit. She wants to move back into traditional finance, maybe some sort of traditional finance type of Palette. You share that candidate and then they get placed and you guys can earn as a result of that sort of sharing. That that model is one thing that's, that's quite interesting to us and, and we've been really looking at. Yeah. Or, the, yeah. or on the flip of that is just like, hey, we have a job. It hasn't been filled yet. We're the source, but if we push this across our five friends, like we know Megan, we know Allie Rhodes, we know all these other folks, like, hey guys, we'll give you 70% of whatever if yeah. you place, you know, totally. like yep. syndicates effectively, like can we make some job syndicates? <laughs> yes, um, yes. That'll definitely be coming. It's part of a larger umbrella. We made that for you ASAP. <laughs> that you get as an early user of this and the source is phenomenal. Um, we we call that like a, under an umbrella that we call like multiplayer mode, um, which has been something we've been noodling on for a decent amount of time, which is number one, like how do we enable the communities to play with each other? And then how do we also enable the people in your community to potentially earn as well? Where let's say you got someone who isn't looking for a job, but they know a fund that's hiring. They, were, they bring that fund into the Confluence Talent Collective and that fund ends up making a hire. You could also split the payout with that person who brought in that fund. So there's a lot of, we we fully volunteer. We will do that. (laughs) I literally think that's such a game changer. Like there are 
way too many communities out there right now, but like only a very small subsection of them can actually provide income to their members. Like, I think that is a huge game changer, especially like people with built-in networks that then they're just tapping into their networks in exchange for income. Seems like a no-brainer. I mean, definitely. There's more people in communities than there are communities. So if we can unlock the networks of all the people that are also in the communities as well. Yeah, I think it increases the total reach this, that I guess the one piece of that is just for everything that happens, the owners of the community or of the job board have to approve each new candidate to keep yep. that quality bar there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yep. exactly. Oh, but let's say someone in the community is like, hey, I just quit my job. I got a bunch of free time. I really want to help other people get jobs. Do you want to let me like interview everyone that applies to join? Right, hypothetically. Oh. And you're like, sure, we'll let you do that. And you can take 10% of the earnings that we get, yeah. right? Like you, you can yeah. enable all sorts of crazy splits. Yeah, this is what Clay and I were talking about last week even, right? Assigning roles to different members of the community that you already have relationships with, right? Approaching someone that has a little bit of free time. Maybe they didn't leave their job, but they're open to investing more time in the, the Confluence community saying, hey, yeah, we'll give you 7% of all earnings and your role is to engage with businesses. Go out and do outbound and approach different funds um, and spend five to 10 hours a week just kind of interfacing with businesses and getting them interested in the conference talent pool, right? We've, we've, we've hired for this now. Yeah, I, got I, heard brother. Brother. I heard it's his brother. Yeah. <laughs> Young Norris. Yeah, yeah, he's our BD yeah. rep. It's a, it's a family business now. Yeah. <laughs> back, back to good old fashioned. Right, and, yeah, and you, you can do family, that for, for all sorts of different roles within the, the collective. And the thing is like, yes, maybe in the short term, you're giving up quote unquote more equity of the collective but you're just creating a bigger pie, right? By distributing the, the kind of responsibilities to five people instead of two. You might be earning 80% of it instead of 100%, um, but you're earning 80% of three, four X of what you would have earned on your own. That's how we're seeing it and how we think we can incentivize people in the collective, in the community to participate actively without necessarily having to be open to moving jobs and, and getting placed. Yeah. Well, Okay, one, I want to do two things before we go into our quick fire. Um, I want to give you credit. One, because I think that this has like an unspoken benefit, which is now people who didn't go to a top 30 institution who are just passionate community members can now have access to the best jobs in the world. And it actually like inadvertently has increased diversity across the board and access it, across the board. It was not necessarily inadvertent. I, I will let Kai take this one because we, we can talk about, you've unlocked a big tangent here, but. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll keep it short. I think one of the, the ultimate like visions for us, right? Is this idea that, hey, everyone in the space is trying to objectify the gatekeepers, right? That's what everyone's trying to do. I think that's fundamentally the wrong play. What you want to do is you want to create many, many, many more gatekeepers because then what you're doing is you're creating many more doors and you could let people prove their value and prove that they're great to a much larger set of doors and a much larger set of opportunities such that anyone in the world can join a Discord server, contribute, provide value, and then be granted the, the greatest opportunities that are on the market. That's something that's really exciting and, and really at the fundamental root of what we Right, and, and like that goes back to the whole signal thing. It's impossible to do that on LinkedIn or Indeed when there's no signal associated because they've reached scale. But if you are just a part of this private, much smaller community or collective, there is signal baked into that. And the recruiter, you know, the hiring manager at XYZ company doesn't necessarily have to look at your resume and go, did he go to Harvard? Did he work at Robinhood? They can now effectively say he's a part of, you know, this collective. And that actually means something, right? Nobody's ever said that about LinkedIn. Oh, he's on LinkedIn. That means something about him. So that's what we're looking to do really, right? Create, you know, credentialing systems for these different communities in regards to recruiting. Yeah. We got to do a thing where communities can put like hashtags and types of, in terms of types of people that they have in their community. We're, we're working this, on it i promise <laughs> this is making me think clay we need to just like every month one we need to get our volume of jobs up and every few weeks we need to go to every single chat room and say here are 50, 50 jobs check them out if anyone's interested from every like type of demographic okay the next thing this whole point the whole point of this is to find startups that we genuinely believe in and we we like actually would put our own money behind or know that our community would so Tell us what kind of investors or community groups 
more so investors because that's a lot of our audience or like maybe potential hires, which you kind of got that on lock. Who do you want to know or who should reach out? Who, if they email you or ask me and Clay to get an intro, will you say, yeah, maybe I'll take a meeting? So what's been really important to us is um, granting and incentive aligning with the communities that make up Palette because we're nothing without those communities. So at every round that we've done before we start that round, we've gone towards the, the partners that we have and we say, hey, we're, we're opening up a round. We're reserving a large allocation for the communities that we're working with. Do you want to get involved? Um, and so 100% at the next round, like you guys and the rest of the people we work with are going to be the first people that we go to. That's super important to us. That I think is like a fundamentally like- Confluence and get on the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Confluence and anyone else who's, who's a part of Confluence will, will innately have the opportunity to do so. I think when we look at the traditional funds, right? Because hey, if we want to go raise 15 million bucks, like some of that's going to have to be carried by, by slightly bigger institutions. We really look at it in, in terms of like, number one, I, I think Jake was talking about this, right? You, you got three sort of categories of funds. You got like actively helpful, uh, neutral, and actively unhelpful. Uh, I, I don't think many people try to be actively unhelpful. It's just a result of, it's just a result of the dynamics of things. But we are more than okay with funds that know that they are neutral on the value addition and just want to be there when you need it like that for us that's very important we want people that believe in us we want people that can move quickly and we want people that believe in us through thick and thin so i think anyone that that can be intellectually honest with the value they provide is really really useful and generally speaking when i if i'm chatting to an investor and they, they talk about how all the strategic help that they can provide i i tend to look at it skeptically because how could you know more about the things that we're doing than we do and so if that's going to be the number one thing that you're hitting on Hey, I'm not sure if that's, that's, re- I, I need some sort of way that that could be proven out. I even want to give a shout out to Meta Agarwal at Redpoint, who's not an investor, um, but has been chatting with us. And she, there's no sort of, we're not raising right now, so there's no sort of investment there. But after we got off the call, she has sent us a bunch of really cool resources that we could use right away. Hey, there's 15 candidates that she knows about right now that would be potentially willing to take a chat and we could take an introduction. with. So I think the proving of the value is always really helpful in a sea of unlimited capital, that type of dedication is really helpful. So I guess in summation, in order, number one, we wanna work with the communities that we work with, that's most important to us. Number two, people that are provide value and prove it in, in a very concrete way. And then number three, people that are just saying, hey, we're neutral, we're gonna get out of your way and we're gonna give you cash. Those, those three things, I think, probably in that order, make a big difference to us. Do you, want people to, do you want people to start reaching out now or give you three months or what's the... We, we're, we, we, you're our first startup. We're about to push in, in front of a ton of funds. <laughs> you got to give instructions. <laughs> As of right now, we're, we're not raising. I know that's the, the kind of classic cliche. Eight to 12 months probably is what we're saying right now. I don't think, I don't think more capital solves the problems that we have and the challenges that we have to overcome in the next few months. Um, once we feel like capital is the reason that we can meaningfully impact the business, then we'll be ready to raise at that point. Uh, for now, you know, we've got a wonderful team. We're working on a wonderful product an extra 10 million bucks doesn't really change the things that we have to do in the next six months. Fair. Very, very fair. Okay. Beautiful. Any questions for us before we go into the quick fire? <laughs> with the pre, with the pre, uh, the pre warning on this one. Um, <laughs> That's the whole point. It gotta be, it gotta come from the heart. If not, <laughs> you know us well. So what do you want to know? <laughs> yeah, well, Anytime I have a question, I just hit you guys up anyway. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Here's an interesting one, and it might kind of lean recruiting-wise a little bit, but your community is incredibly talented. It's Confluence VC. Obviously, the main focus is venture capital. How do you straddle kind of the the relationship or the difference between VC and just being a kick-ass operator? Because looking at the people that have applied to jobs on your platform, in your Slack group, some people in your collective, right? You have some really, really quality people that would be amazing operators at younger startups. And so I, I know that Claire and I have talked about this a little bit, but are there people that are looking to, to make the change to be an operator at a startup? Is it almost exclusively people that are looking to stay in VC? And, and how do you think about that in the context of your community? So I feel like I talk to members, I talk to at least four or five a week. I'd say that at least half, if not more of those are looking to switch it up and get some operating experience. 
because like a lot of these people are young like majority of our audience is analyst associate level i think once you reach the one to two year mark you start realizing like all right this is a bdr role like you are just doing a lot of outreach like you're doing evaluating startups but you're not really understanding like what makes companies tick as much as you would just like working on one by yourself or like joining one that's high growth so i have a couple of people that we've actually spoken to on the podcast who like are super they're like vetted within a vetted community it's like people that we have conviction in have a pencil i need to reach out to them in six months and see what their plans are because i want to bet on them and i want to back their next business but yeah i think a lot of people within venture are starting to realize you can do a lot more on the the operating side. A lot of these roles aren't analyst to partner roles as much as they're portrayed when you're joining. So I think all those factors are influencing people making the transition over. Yeah. And as someone that obviously spends a lot of time in, in the recruiting space and specifically startup recruiting, a lot of those people can have really cool roles at really interesting startups. Yeah. Uh, Startup world is so much more fun. It's, it's so fun. much more fun. It's literally <laughs> yes, so much better. I was under this illusion before that like, oh, venture's sick. I just want to stay in this forever. And then like, I know. I have so much more fun being an operator. I mean, I love, I still invest. I still invest for the Lauder family, but like, I love building companies. Yeah. And just looking at your collective, 15 to 20 of those candidates, those people can be placed at a, a startup in a month if they wanted to do that, right? It's just whether or not they want to take the introductory call to a startup and not a VC. So I would say this in two ways. One way is uh, we're going to start having more startup roles on our job board. Two, we're going to start having more startup podcasts and start having elite operators who must apply and then get in, et cetera. Part of our thing too. Anyone can join the newsletter. And then what I've been thinking about that I have to pitch Clay on is like co-founding companies with VCs. And there is a world in which I'm putting this out in the world now and Clay can look weird about it, but we're going to talk about it soon. <laughs> we say, hey, VC, if you have an idea or we have people submit X amount of ideas and like we, we pick the top three and then we'll co-found with you. We'll pay you whatever amount for the first year or something like that. Assuming you quit your fund or go part-time at your fund and contractually make that real. And then we'll 50-50 the company. It's something that's been in my head heavily. Because me and Clay had so much fun operating. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then we'll just do Pat. We'll put all our jobs on Pallet. And it'll be. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are basically. Sick. Yeah. It sounds super sick. You guys are basically founders yourself. Right. With the entire Confluence business. Really. Genuinely. Right. We were talking at the beginning. How sick your landing pages and your resource bank and all the work you put into engaging the community and, and using different outlets, like whether it be your pallet board or you're going out and finding these partnerships and, and opportunities that grow confluence. I would say you're pretty much running a business right now. I think you guys planted that seed. The first dollar we made was through you guys. And they were like, oh, shit. We Let's can start go. making more money through money. If it's audio only, we're doing, we're both doing fist pumps right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, before that, we didn't really have any idea how to run a business. We're like, all right, this is kind of like a passion project, like not really making any kind of income on it. But they're like, oh no, there are like a hundred different ways to monetize this thing without being scammy. Yeah. So yeah, you guys opened our eyes to that. So you guys, all the credit in the world. <laughs> Why am I crying on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Gangster tears, man. But you know, Clay, now that your video is working again, when we first met you all, Clay's video wasn't working. And I guess this week is the first week ever that his video. No, no, no. I'm on a different computer. Everybody else, like you guys are like the first <laughs> ones we've done in literally 20 weeks where my video has been on. <laughs> so here's, the, here's, here's reality. If you want Clay to be on video, you have to pay him. <laughs> <laughs> But we can make this into like video content at some point. So it's in our memory banks. We'll ask you all for our consent, of course, and then we'll make it dope. You uh, you have it, <laughs> you know, whatever. I think I've been going on and off with the camera at certain times. So I know. If, if, if it works out, you know. Like, yeah, Kai's whole background. He's got like dogs back there and people. And- <laughs> <laughs> it's authentic. That's what real startup founders do. Like we heard people doing like strategy talks in the background. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> oh, we just we just got a bunch of uh, annoyed teammates that I'm, <laughs> that I'm chatting it up. <laughs> That's the only oh, background. We're, we 
We're at time. Technically I have five more minutes or not. It doesn't matter. Do we want to quick fire it? Or do we want to just say, thank you, everybody start banging on the door to maybe get a dollar in it or a year or two. I don't know. <laughs> totally, totally up to you guys. Yeah. Let's see. Honestly, like the quick fire more like structured. One other question I have, I think we can skip quick fire. I feel like we'll get more value out of this last question. So one thing we didn't ask you was just covering your launch strategy a little bit more. Cause I think it was genius. Like you guys were incentivizing the creators that you're working with to do the marketing on your behalf, which like you, you played perfectly. Like Lenny obviously had a, a big part in that. I'm sure he did a really good job with the onboarding packet, but we felt like we were ready to go once we started. How are you guys thinking about that? How are you able to pull it off? And then what advice would you give for other people trying to follow that same strategy of just having like referral led growth yeah i mean first and foremost that kind of i referral led growth or content led growth or whatever it may be is kind of inherent to the product uh companies are basically paying communities and creators to have distribution access and, and the best way to do that is for the community to to use its distribution right and so kind of like you talked about when we get one partner like lenny uh, he launches to on Twitter, on his newsletter, and ultimately to an audience of over 100,000 different people. And for every Lenny launch, we get another 50 to 100 people that want to run pallets. And out of those 100, 150 people that want to run pallets, we launch with another 10 to 20. And it, and it kind of continues that flywheel where with those 10 to 20, maybe the audience isn't as big, but it might be in a slightly different focus, right? One of them might be fintech, not product. And now we have 10 more fintech boards to launch with. And so we start to slowly take over different niches and different industries. And it, it's really, really good for our growth. Commonly, we, we get, you know, we get on conversations with creators and they're like, oh, we saw you on Twitter a million different times. Right. And that was by design and really inherent to what we're doing. And if I would say like, how can you emulate this as a different creator focused company or community focused company, it would be to provide value to the creators, to the communities it can't be artificial. It can't be manufactured. You have to be doing something that gives them value and gives them a reason to go and post on Twitter or go and post on, on their newsletter. It can't just be kind of like a favor to you once. Um, yeah. It has to be consistent. And, and it's okay to be rigorous about that, right? If you're building a tool for communities to manage their finances or doing their accounting stuff, you're not going to have the same growth strategy of like massive Twitter launches, right? If you invest a lot of resources into getting creators and communities to share your accounting tool, and no matter how much you really invest, it's not going to be natural, right? Like that's not going to be something that is a natural effect of the product, which is not to say that accounting management for creators and communities is a bad product. It's a great product, but the growth loop has got to be different there, right? It's got to be like, cool, we're going to do targeted marketing or whatever it might be. I would say if you want to leverage Twitter and leverage that sort of aligned type of marketing, it's just got to come from the actual product itself. It's got to be, it's got to be a natural sort of effect. Otherwise it's going to be tough to hack. You're on mute. You're on mute. Dumbass. Yeah. I think the onboarding packet you guys sent over was like perfect. It literally gave like a checklist. It's like this, then on launch day, do these two things. It's like, all right, sweet. I don't have to think through this at all. This is awesome. So yeah, right. it was like geniusly yeah. manufactured. And maybe this is, that's the last thing that we'll leave you, you all with is we do not see ourselves, nor do we call ourselves a software company. We call ourselves a services company. And we believe that every bit. We're asking you and Lenny and Sahil and all of our partners to run a marketplace effectively with job seekers on one side and companies on the other. And that's challenging to do, right? Like you've seen many Andrew Chen article written about how to run a marketplace or whatnot. And we think it's essential to be able to provide that service, provide that advice, provide the strategy for the partners and communities so that they can get the most out of pallet. And someone who, who speaks with a lot of different communities as they're thinking about running a pallet, often their biggest question is about the lift and the work. Like maybe they've tried it in the past and they could not keep this a certain threshold of jobs on the board to the point where it was valuable for the community. And so we basically take that burden on our shoulders and say, listen, you're responsible for distribution and for curation, and the rest of it will take care of, whether it's customer service with businesses, whether it's making sure that you have really cool roles on your board, whether it's making sure 
that what you're doing, what your prices should be set at, all of those different things we have a ton of experience with and believe it's our responsibility, right? Just to allow you to do the parts that are actually only for you and, and important in the process of running a, a marketplace or a job board. Yeah, I want to coin something for you all. You all are early place move, uh, early mover on the marketplace as a service trend. And I think nice. that lots of people move into this space. Everyone did the whole payment as a service, lender as a service, et cetera, as a service. You all are like recruiter as a service, marketplace as a service. And I'm looking for companies that are doing what you do. And I'll also incorporate some of your strategies. Last piece is your rollout was dope. Great. I give you like kudos. I don't mean to down that. But you know why you work? It's because you make people real money. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really simple. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be the, the number one thing at the end of the day. Right? Money talks. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be like, I'm like, oh, they can make me 100K a year. Uh. <laughs> money talks. That's the, the bottom line. Yeah. But cool. No more questions. Other than who do you want to see on this podcast? I think who you guys should definitely take it. I don't know if you've met him yet. Uh, a buddy of mine is this guy, David Brillenberg. He's like 22, 23 years old. Um, does not have a big Twitter brand, but he's managing like a, like, uh, what's it, 30 or $45 million gaming fund right now. Like he's deploying checks. He's deploying checks that like single checks that are bigger than some of the funds that I've seen that get a lot of clout and hype on Twitter. And he's an awful brand builder. David, <laughs> if you're hearing this, you got to level up your game. But he's a great guy and doing some really, really cool stuff. So that well, would be- we're not, we're, we're not interested. No, I'm kidding. Yo, please introduce us and we would love to have him. Sounds good. Sweet. Cool. Sweet. Thank you all so much. Awesome. Right. Yeah, and Clay, we'll, we'll chat tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Gonna have more to cover. All right. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Huge thanks again to Jake and Kai for coming on. We hope that each of you are able to pick up something valuable from this talk. If you're looking to get in touch with either of them, we've linked their social info in the description below. Uh, You can also check out the website at www.palette.xyz. For next steps, if each of you have not submitted your info to become a member yet, you can do that through our website at www.confluence.bc. And also, if you want to become a subscriber to the newsletter, we offer a ton of free resources in there each and every week meant to help you become better at your individual roles. You can subscribe there at www.confluence.substack.com. Hope that helps. Hope to hear from you all soon.